This podcast episode is brought to you by Creative Safety Supply, leaders in visual safety, floor marking, label printing, and more. Visit their website at www.creativesafetysupply.com slash leanpodcast for a special 10% listener discount. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Welcome to episode 154 of the podcast for July 31st, 2012. My guest today is Rick Morrow. He is a director at the consulting firm Healthcare Performance Partners, and he's author of the book titled Utilizing the Three M's of Process Improvement in Healthcare, a Roadmap to High Reliability Using Lean, Six Sigma, and Change Leadership. And that book is from Productivity Press, which is also the publisher of my books. So in the episode today, we're going to talk about his book and his experiences with quality in healthcare, as well as something that's really a favorite issue of mine uh, in terms of a a soapbox issue and something I get fired up about, the idea that we shouldn't ask patients to inspect the work of healthcare providers, that that's an unfair position to put them in. So we'll talk about that a lot more uh, for the episode's post page. You can go to leanblog.org slash 154 if you want to leave a comment. And you can go to leanpodcast.org for all past episodes. Well, again, our guest today is Rick Morrow. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's my pleasure for sure. So if you can start off just you know, basically introducing yourself to the listeners, I'm curious to hear about your background with um, healthcare quality and lean. Thanks, Mark. Sure. I am a guy that has failed quite a few times, so my mission in life is to give back and prevent people from failing the way I failed. So that's the big reason why I wrote the book, Utilizing the Three M's, is to share where I kind of goofed up over my 30 years in high reliability organizations and hopefully give some people some step-by-step tips on how to lead some major changes in healthcare, quality, safety, and reliability, as well as most any industry and you're currently with Healthcare Performance Partners. Um, before that, um, you were with the Joint Commission. Have you been in, in healthcare your whole career? No, I joined healthcare about six years ago, and Dr. Mark Chasson of the Joint Commission and his staff called me one day and said, we'd like you to come and talk to us at the Joint Commission. And uh, I asked my wife, who's a nurse, I said, uh, Jan, who's the Joint Commission? And she kind of she laughed. She goes, why? And mm-hmm. uh, after talking with a number of people, including my family physician, I got a couple questions about uh, why would you interview there. But I drove over. It wasn't too far from my home. And I met Lynn Dragasic, the VP of HR. And she started out on the mission of where Dr. Chasson wants to take the Joint Commission. And I was intrigued and and Mark just happened to have some time that day as well, and we sat and we talked about his vision of not making accreditation the sole mission, but to actually go out and collaborate with some of the world's leading institutions in healthcare and solving some of their toughest problems. And I just fell in love with that vision of his and the mission. And so that's when I really got involved with healthcare. And so then writing the book, um, utilizing the three M's of process improvement in healthcare, we'll, we'll talk, we'll have a chance to delve into what those three M's are about. Always curious to hear, um, yeah, even you know, just from an author's perspective, what inspired you, what, what motivated you 
Um, you know, what, what was the story behind the book and, and how it came to be? When you get to be my age, in 30 years and a lot of experiences across the world, it's time to give back, Mark. It, mm-hmm. it may sound corny, but it truly was my attempt of giving back for all the great experiences I've had with companies like Motorola and United Airlines and Eaton Corporation, but also since healthcare especially is such a fragmented industry, there is, there's no one Toyota or no mm-hmm. one Boeing Corporation that can look at its thousands of suppliers and say, oh, you know, this supplier over in Kentucky is doing a wonderful job. Suppliers, we think you all ought to try this. Or like in the automotive industry, you're familiar with their design right the first time, whether you call it PPAP or APQP, some acronyms that I don't even know what they are anymore. But the infrastructure built in by these major oligopolies that then can share best practices across it. There's no oligopoly in healthcare that I know of that can take a number of great ideas and then distill it for people and then teach people how to do it and share it. So hopefully the book takes a little bit of a direction toward that, of being able to take some really good practices and share them with the rest of the world. Now, it's funny, yeah, you're right about I guess, you know, healthcare in the United States being so decentralized and, and not being any major mm-hmm. player. Um, what I'm, I'm curious, you know, before we come back to the book, um, how you see the influence then of, let's say, you know, the federal government is a big payer through Medicare, Medicaid. You know, you're, you're coming to us um, live right now from England, where it's a much more um, centralized model with the NHS. I mean, what, what are some thoughts mm-hmm. you have about whether um, that that sort of central drive to say thou shalt improve um, has has potential, or if you see impact with that, that's an intriguing question, and I appreciate this opportunity of comparing a little bit about of uh, the very centralized NHS. But even the NHS is a number of trusts, which mm-hmm. which I didn't really realize, and they act fairly independently as well. Yeah. But there is a lot more centralization, as you know. Here, there is better sharing of best practices in the NHS, so I think it does approximate some of the more oligopoly-type environments that we have in other industries. One of the most intriguing things that I find is they have the same problems in the UK Mm -hmm. as we do in most hospitals across the US. Things like how do we really get people to be mindful in some of these situations, whether it be for surgical services, how do we even get people to wash their hands? And we knew back 1846, Dr. Semmelweis proved with data, much like we in lean healthcare, we love to make our case with data versus just anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we, how do we all have the same problems? And yet, why do we keep reinventing the wheel at each little hospital or each little organization? The NHS does have it, and thankfully, even with our Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, they're doing a better job these days, I feel, with their value-based purchasing of at least taking the hundreds of process of care measures, outcome measures, patient sat measures, but distilling those down to fewer to help people focus. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I see really positive going on in America right now is letting people focus on the vital few. And you bring up the important 
um, concept of, of measurement. So let, let's transition a bit. There's there's a lot to chew on, even in the title of your book, um, the three M's, if you can kind of give the listeners uh, you know, introduction into what, what the three M's are and why that framework is important. Yes, when I look at great leaders, whether it's Abraham Lincoln, um, some of the great presidents of the U.S., and we even look across the world, Winston Churchill, what did these people have in common? And the one thing is they all measured. And we all know the old saying, if you want it, measure it. And you can't, um, you can't really change behavior unless you have some way of measuring the behavior. So what I've found in every successful change has been the ability of having that scorecard. Uh, think of it as here we are, we were literally looking down on the Lord's cricket grounds today, watching the archery practice. So the archery Olympic events will be just literally across mm -hmm. the street from the hospital here. And you can see the scoreboard. So imagine here in healthcare, like in the ICU, you see an excellent example of a real-time scoreboard. It's called telemetry. Mm -hmm. We can see the blood pressure, the heart rate. But yet, how many times do you walk the med surge floor or even in surgery and there is not one measure posted at all? Yeah. But yet, Abraham Lincoln would walk literally down to the telegraph office and he would go to the telegraph to see what was the measure of the prior day, what was happening that day. So the great leaders had a real-time measurement system. So that's the first M. If you want it, measure it. And so often we don't measure in healthcare, but yet we have some great examples like the ICU. But putting a chart up on the wall or putting a scoreboard up, think of in baseball, you've got the um, – pitch count for pitchers. What if the pitching coach or manager never looked at that? Mm -hmm. You could have the greatest measures, but if you don't manage to that measure, so that's the second M. So measure is the first M and then manage to the measure. If you don't do something with that measure, it's worse than measuring at all because now you've had people go through the exercise of measurement and you don't do anything with it. So Abraham Lincoln didn't measure what was going on, what he saw through the telegraph without managing to it. And he is known that I found through the research for the book that he swapped a lot of generals out. He kept measuring and then he had to keep managing to that measure and one of his management practices was to keep looking for the generals that could move the army, the nation forward and where he wanted to go. So that's the second M, manage to the measure. And then the third thing in hand hygiene is probably the most voluminous example here yeah. is we can measure hand hygiene and oh by the way the monthly or quarterly hand hygiene statistics we've proved over and over is worthless you have to measure in real time or near real time and then you have to manage to the measure so the other day we launched hand hygiene at a major academic medical center and I could not be happier with the nurse manager and the nurse director they were measuring daily through trained observation and I walked out one day expecting to have to argue about well now you have to do something about it but here they'd already brought over a group that uh, healthcare workers that had the lower compliance on hand hygiene than other workers and on their own before I ever showed up they had already pulled them aside and they started the problem solving methodology 
of saying, you know, you're you're lower according to our data. What's making it difficult for mm -hmm. you to wash mm -hmm. your hands? And so the third M is you got to make it easier to do the right thing. And we know it in lean healthcare as far as standard work, job instructions. So wrapping it up, the three M's are simply you have to measure, you have to manage to that measure, and you have to make it easier to do the right thing. Well, and I think, yeah, that third point, tying it back to making it easier and, and asking why and, and, and identifying yes. barriers to those problems is, is, is what leads to real improvement. Because you know, when I hear the, the, the phrase, manage to the measure, sometimes I think, oh, no, this is like teaching to the test or, you know, that if, if we in the absence of an ability and a willingness to, to make the work easier, uh, a measure sometimes can pressure people into fudging the numbers or, or doing you know things that are dysfunctional instead of um, driving, driving real improvement. Um, and, you know, so, you Absolutely. Know, yeah, I mean, hand hygiene. You know, I'm curious to, to delve into that. Um, you know, in terms of measuring that, I mean, you, you don't literally get to see each and every possible opportunity for somebody to wash or not wash their hands. So, I, mm -hmm. I suppose. What can you can you tell um, share an example, a little more detail of, of how you really measure that on an ongoing basis in a way it's not super uh, time intensive or cost intensive. Oh, that's a great question, and I get asked this a lot, and what we have in one of our London clients who, by the way, just won an award from the UK Infection Prevention and Control Conference for their hand hygiene improvement, you earn the right to reduce the frequency of measurement. So l let me tell you about that. So they measured daily, uh, posted weekly, and they started getting these trained observations. So this was manual observation, which always has a host of measurement system is issues such as bias mm -hmm. and nurses thinking nurses are perfect and doctors thinking doctors are perfect but lo and behold we go through some significant training of observers to get truth and that's the key point is to get truth and then as you know Mark and you can talk to hundreds of people in healthcare you when you first walk onto a floor or in an OR theater, as we call them in the UK, mm -hmm. it doesn't take you but seconds to be able to reproduce the number that their hand hygiene compliance chart shows on the wall. Mm. So you do it by manual observation from trained observations, but then you also, there are some technologies. In fact, my team wrote the request for proposal to some of the world's leading technology companies to come up with a some technology to measure hand hygiene and and it can be done mm -hmm. do we need to do it no as my uh, my boss and friend the guy that uh, recruited me to healthcare performance partners Dr. Dave Munch they did it without any technology and Lutheran Exemplo this is um, absolutely public information but they did measure and they managed to that measure they called just in time coaching mm -hmm. And they made it easier and easier. Like you said, they found the barriers to right. people washing, and they took those barriers out, and they showed people that, you know, we're serious. You you tell us what your barriers are. We'll make it easy. But coming back around, it's very clear that managing to the measure is teamwork, mm -hmm. not uh, shall we say writing the course to pass the exam. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> right. 
And um, yeah, it's just a quick aside for the listeners. Dave Munch, uh, Dr. Munch was a previous guest of mine. You can go to leanblog.org slash 139, um, episode 139, where um, he was on before. So, you know, the measurement, tell a little bit more about measurement and data, because, you know, what I, I see and hear about in hospitals all the time is just the lack of data that would prove improvement before and after data um, in, in, in all sorts of varied settings. Um, what, what are your perspectives on and I'll try to look for, uh, maybe we won't properly diagnose it here, but thoughts around getting closer to a root cause about why that data is just often not available, why why things aren't being measured, if, if, if that's so important. Well, let's take, for instance, our scale in the bathroom in our homes or in our flats. How many people just hesitate, almost fear stepping on that scale, whether it's to lose weight or gain weight? So I think, you know, a lot of it is measurement initially can be very uncomfortable for people. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about a safety culture, and, and maybe just a quick definition there, but high reliability organizations, those organizations that do it right the first time, that they're very used to putting measurement systems in and making it safe to say, this measure isn't what we want it to be. And so I think, again, it's really managing to the measure again says, you know, we're going to start measuring. You're going to be a part of it, team. What measures do you think your customers care about? And that's the other nice thing about the CMS value-based purchasing. And this, this, again, the program hitting most acute care hospitals this year is CMS gathered them together and said, you know, what do patients really care about those outcomes? But you go back and you say, you know, let's be a part, let's have the front line, and the front line could be a surgeon in cardiothoracic surgery, mm-hmm. or a nurse, or a housekeeper, or I myself. It's the people doing the work, adding the value to the patient or the customer, getting them together and helping them design the measurement system together. Because if people know what leadership knows, and leadership knows what the people know mm-hmm. on the front line, then they'll probably feel like each other feels and then they'll probably do like each other would do but it's that first part about you have to communicate what your vision and mission is before you start jumping into yeah. measurement systems that may very well be worthless so first off make measurement easy make measurement the right thing to do and reinforce people who report mm-hmm. you know the consumer reports organization just in august published for the first time its safety rating and yet out of 48, 4,900 acute care hospitals in America, only 1,800 had supplied data. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what does that tell us, Mark? Right, right. Well, and I want you, there's a lot of great things you touched on there. One, I, th- I think connecting measurement and work in general to purpose is really important. But then when we talk about involving people and helping develop their own measures. And um, resistance to change, quote-unquote resistance to change, is, is something – you know, um, Joe and I wrote about a lot in healthcare Kaizen that re- most resistance to change, I think, is really should really be described as resistance to someone else forcing an idea upon you. You know, and it's a natural reaction of um, mm-hmm. why, why people kind of cringe at that. And I assume performance measures could be the same way. If if someone has a measure forced on them that they don't understand or don't believe in, that's that's not really going to create much engagement. Curious to hear more of your thoughts on that. Well said. And maybe the best way is a story is. We had 
great hand hygiene improvement happened in our cardiothoracic floor at a major client and these same nurses and nurse managers and housekeepers and caterers all got involved but yet they were really struggling in the periop processes the ORs and the director of the OR had not been a part of the creation of the training and the observation and, and even the five moments in WHO don't necessarily translate directly for this person so once they let him become a part of the measurement system creation things started taking off so again there's an example of if you get people involved with saying you know we know that we can save lives if we wash our hands let's know how well we're doing washing our hands and once they got the team involved engaged and empowered it really took off case in point well, one other thing I wanted to touch on a little bit was it was something you touched on in the book and I started highlighting and and, and, and marking in the book and so I definitely want to talk to you about this is the idea and I think we share a view on this that um, it's really an unfair position to put patients into when we we try to insist that they ask to inspect the healthcare that's being provided to them. Are people washing their hands? Have you uh, signed the surgical site, et cetera, et cetera? Um, curious to hear, you know, can you kind of elaborate on um, what, what you touched on in the book or the examples you use, um, how, how you describe that? And if, if you're making a headway and helping convince people that they shouldn't put the customer in that position. Ah, uh, you hit a hot button of mine. Mm -hmm. I was shocked when I joined the Joint Commission and I heard about this campaign to speak up, I, I literally thought they were kidding me. Yeah. And I said, you mean to tell me that you're putting the burden on the patient to speak up if the doctor entering your room did not wash her hands? I said, let, let me understand this. I said, that's kind of like I'm going into the Ritz-Carlton, not that I'm lucky to do that very often. It's more like the... Um, without naming brands, it's it's mm -hmm. the $20 a night hotel, which is where we usually stay. Dave uh, Munch, Dr. Munch, often calls us the uh, the $20 a night club hotel. But say you go in the Ritz-Carlton, and how would you feel if the person who greets you by name, it's, it's unbelievable what the Ritz-Carlton quality can be, but they greet you by name mm -hmm. out on the lawn, and they said... Uh, you know, Mr. Graben, um, welcome to the Ritz-Carlton. We know you'll enjoy your stay. But I tell you what, you know, it's up to you, Mr. Graben, to make sure that the luggage I bring to your room is your luggage. How would you feel about the Ritz-Carlton quality? Mm -hmm. And even though I like your lug nut story a lot better, Mark, than my story, mm -hmm. it, it, it's the same point. I said, we have got to put the responsibility for quality and reliability in the hands of the people in the process, not the customer. And when you confuse who's responsible mm -hmm. for quality, it opens up Pandora's box. Nothing you want to do. Well, amen. And yeah, my, my lug nut story, I, I, the comparison I draw is that, you know, if you buy a new car or you get your tires rotated, there's not a big sign saying, hey, ask me if I've properly <laughs> tightened all the lug nuts. Because <laughs> if, you're, if your wheel and tire go flying off while you're on the freeway, that, that could be a deadly situation for you or somebody else. So it's, you know, it's critically important. Um, airlines don't ask passengers to 
ask the pilot if they're following the checklist, uh, you know, on this flight or not. That yeah, they've they've put whether it's um, you know these organizations. They have created much better reliability by putting the pilots or mechanics in a, a far better position to be able to do high quality work, which is what everybody in healthcare really wants to be doing. They want to be able to do the right thing if we don't put too many um, you know, systemic barriers and, and organizational barriers in their way. Amen. And we were just talking with a client out in Colorado today and They've launched what they call the crew resource management. We knew in United United Airlines that to be cockpit resource management. But that clearly, again, puts responsibility not only on the captain but on the other flight crew member that in incapacitation or even concern about that, it is very clear who's responsible at each part in time yeah. and then the escalation. I wish I could see that in the surgical theaters more often. And I think the the best surgical teams do just that. They said, you know, I'm the surgeon, but, you know, I really value you as team members. And if you see something, I definitely want you to speak up. Well, and that's uh, a really important point. And I um, appreciate you sharing at least just a, a glimpse into uh, into your new book, um, Utilizing the Three M's of Process Improvement in Healthcare, with the subtitle, A Roadmap to High Reliability Using Lean, Six Sigma, and change leadership. Rick, we could probably, I'm sure we could talk about this and all these other topics uh, for hours on end. Uh, hopefully we can do another podcast and uh, maybe we can pick another topic and, and dive into a little bit more detail. So um, thank you for joining us. And in wrapping up, if you've got a final thought, can you also share how people can reach you, where the book is available, things like that? Thanks, Mark. Really enjoyed it. Anyone picking up the book, you don't even have to buy the book. Go on to the book's website, www.rpmexec.com. That's Richard Paul Morrow, Edward X-Ray, Edward Charlie.com. And, and tell me your thoughts. Tell me about the problems you're having out there, whether it's healthcare or not healthcare. There's a companion book utilizing the three M's of process improvement for everyone else in the world. We asked the publisher asked me to do a healthcare version but go onto the website www.rpmexec share your issues share your ideas and I'll try to be that little bee that pollinates the flowers give me your ideas and uh, let me share those and we'll continue the mission to improvement and high reliability that way Mark and thanks for this opportunity well thank you Rick and good luck uh, with all the, the great important work that you're doing it's great talking to you likewise Mark thanks a lot thanks for listening this has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.